This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 234. And the quote of the day is from Freddie Mercury, who said, I don't want to be a rock star. I want to be a legend. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond and beyond and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. I hope everybody's doing well. And if you celebrate Christmas, I hope that you had an awesome holiday and you're uh, sort of in this in-between week, right? Everybody's getting ready for the new year. So use this week to to do something productive. Don't just sort of sit back and relax. And, you know, I'm not saying not, don't relax, but do something. Don't wait till next year to get started. Get started today, tomorrow, whenever you can to get rocking and rolling. Uh, before we get into this interview, I want to thank some people who have uh, who have donated, who have joined the Patreon movement for Drummer's Resource. And what Patreon is, is a way for you to contribute to the podcast on a monthly recurring basis. And you can pay as little as a dollar a month all the way up to a hundred or a thousand or whatever not to mention that you also get some cool prizes like t-shirts and you get on the insiders mailing list and you we have a skype call once a month there's all sorts of cool rewards that go along with your contribution and if you get value out of this podcast i ask that you please consider donating monthly to it you can just go to drummersresource.com forward slash support and like i said Donations start at a dollar a month, so I'm sure that you can swing a dollar a month, and I ask that you consider more, but if all you can swing is a dollar, that's cool too. Every dollar helps, every dollar counts, and every dollar is 100% appreciated, and for the people who have already contributed, I really do sincerely appreciate it. So I want to thank uh, John Foster and Brian Andres and Tim White and Lachlan Hawkins and Colin Miller and Jeff Thomas and Bob Thomas and Jeremy Schreifels and Ryan McBride, Andy Wallace, Mike McCurdy, all of you who have donated, um, I thank you. And I appreciate it. And this podcast would be nothing, one, without the listeners, and two, without the contributors. So I 100% appreciate that. Now, let's get into the interview for today. This is Eric Hargrove. And Eric and I have been connected on Facebook. We've never met. And that's because he lives all the way on the other side of the world. So he lives in Singapore. And he's originally from the United States. And he played with James Brown for years, the legendary James Brown, and has some really cool stories about that, talks about how what he was like to work for, how he ended up in Asia, and a lot of cool things that, that he's been working on over there as well. So a really interesting dude, a great drummer, a phenomenal drummer, and uh, just an all-around all amazing guy. So let's get into it without further ado with the one and only Eric Hargrove. Eric, how are you, man? Thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. Hey, Nick. Thank you, man, for uh, for giving me a call. It this this amazes me. So it's what it's nine o'clock here. It's what time is it where you are? Ten a.m. It's ten a.m. here in Singapore. So I, I it always blows me away that like Brian uh, Brian Fraser Moore and I are good friends and oh uh, yeah yeah and like but he he did the interview and he was like I forget where he was he was in France somewhere or I, he was somewhere and it's just like. It's like we're just sitting right next to each other. It's a, the power of technology, man. It really blows <laughs> me away. 
You got to love it. Yeah, Brian. Brian's a friend of mine. We met uh, a long time ago when he was the music director for uh, the group Lenubians. Mm, mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. We that, was hung while, out. that was a while back. Yeah, it was a while back. Yeah, I he, he uh, is. A, we're both Philly guys, so that's how I know. He's a little bit older than I am, so I always grew up looking up to him. And, and well, I still All look right. up to him, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, for, for, let's talk to the people right now just about who, about who you are, what you do, build a little bit of context, get some of your backstory, and then we'll get into the amazing work that you've done. Uh, you're now that you're, you're in Singapore now. Uh, so we'll get into all that, but just sort of like the 30 seconds to a minute sort of, you know, elevator pitch, so to speak. <laughs> so, uh, I grew up in Pennsylvania as well. You did? Um, Washington, Pennsylvania. It's an hour south of Pittsburgh. Oh, okay. So you're already all the way on the West Coast. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm with the Pittsburgh Cats. I didn't know you were a Pittsburgh. <laughs> are you, so are you a Steelers fan? You know this. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, at least you're still a Pets- When the Eagles are out, I'm a Pittsburgh fan. I have to be. I got this. Sh- I, I kind of do the both. I do, I do the both. I yeah. do that sometimes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's still it's still Pennsylvania. So Yeah. <laughs> all right. Sorry to interrupt you. I had to ask though. No, no, it's all good. Um, so I grew up there playing in, uh, you know, grade school bands, high school bands, our high school band. Uh, I did marching band, jazz band, the, the concert band. And we were fortunate enough to have a uh, steel drum band as well. Oh, okay. Our band director got deep into it. and yeah, had, say, That's like, not normal for a high band. school. No, it isn't. He just he got this bug and he just got the school to buy us all these pans and we had a full uh, steel drum band. So I was playing mostly just drum set and percussion for that. Nice. Uh, so that was that was a good you know introduction to to something other than just what high school kids would normally be doing in, in school bands. Right. Right. And what and aside guaranteed aside from like what you were listening to, you know, like yeah, definitely. So what kind of music did you grow up listening to? Um, mostly just anything that was on the radio. Yeah. Um, you know, in the in the pop genre, the R&B, you know, most most of that. But once I started playing drums, uh, a lot of kids that um, I were hanging out with, uh, their parents were musicians. So I got turned on to a lot of other stuff, a, a lot of jazz, um, a lot of different stuff. Mm. Uh, so, uh, some of the other drummers and I, we grew up learning all this different stuff together, mostly from their parents and just listening to different records and stuff, it's you know, way, and it's a way to do it. Yeah. And listening, putting the headphones on and just, you know, playing along to, to, to these songs, you know, and I think that's what's, what's lacking today. You know, kids don't put on the headphones and play along with the with the records. I was just going to ask you about that. Do you think that that's sort of a, is that a, is that a pastime that, that doesn't happen anymore? You know, like, I think it's so underrated to, to go and just put on headphones and just play along with records for hours and hours and hours. Yeah. And it, it seems that it's, um, kids are, are attracted to the flash mm-hmm. and there's a lot of flash right now in the drumming community. Well, I mean, there has been for a long time, but it's really prominent now and they're missing those basic elements of just grooving along with, with records from 
the 50s, 60s, and 70s, mm-hmm. you know, where, where there was, like, a lot of musical content. Right. You know? Totally. I mean, and I wonder, I mean, is the the technical ability, like, if you look at somebody like Bernard Purdy to somebody now like you or like Eric, let's say somebody younger, somebody like like Eric Moore or I don't know, one of these guys who has just insane chops, like the technical ability is through the roof. Right. You know? But like Eric Grooves, too, you know, like he has he sort of has both L- or like Brian Frazier Moore, any of these like John, you know, yeah. little John Roberts and all those guys. Like yeah. They have all that flash, but they have the foundation like you can put little John in a room with, you know, some heavy hitting jazz guys and he can play it right you know and like he can run that chart down and play it properly so uh yeah i and i want so and i don't know do you think music is suffering from it as a whole with with this partially not not just from the drum aspect but just from a musical aspect of not having the emotional content that went into the records in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Mm-hmm. There, was, there was a lot going on in people's lives during then, that time, those times, and that emotion went into their music. And that's why a lot of those records are just timeless because you can, you can feel it. Whether you know it or not, you're feeling mm-hmm. that emotional content that went into the music. And it's not just some programmed loops and stuff that just kind of sounds good. And yeah, man. I wonder if we'll ever, I mean, we're, we're not going to get back to it. You know, like, I don't, I don't think that, uh, I, I think that there's time, sometimes are just gone and they're not going to come back. But I do hope that there's sort of a resurgence of drummers saying, okay, I'm going to dig into records. I'm going to, and not this, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to generalize and just throw a blanket statement out there that say like, oh, anybody that's under 30 isn't doing this. I'm not. I'm right, not saying right. that, but I agree with you that there's a large majority of people. I, and I think it's, I think it's hard. And I think that younger people get a little bit of a bad rap because that they didn't grow up with that. They grew up with MP3s. They grew up with YouTube. They grew up with, yeah. I mean, it came like I, I got the internet a little bit later. You know, I'm 35. So I didn't have it growing up, obviously. So I bought records. I went to the record store and bought like the new Eric Bean Rock Hem record when it came out and, you know, like, and, and, or whatever new record came out and sat down and played along with it. So, right. like, I, I think it's a situational thing. But at the same time, like, I think you still got to dive in and, and like really find those records. And I mean, they're available, they're easy to get. And just exactly play along. And YouTube it. makes it so easy. Man, if I had YouTube when I was set, <laughs> 10, 12, 15 years old, I would be, I don't know. I'd be able to like actually play the drums instead of what I do now. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have this whole thing figured out, man. So, all right. So let's, I want to, uh, we're going to skip around a little bit. I want to go back a little bit to, so you're in high school, you're playing. Um, and then, so after that, what happens after high school? Do you go, are you going to college? Are you touring? Are you playing in bands? What's happening there? After high school, uh, I went into the army. Oh, okay. Why? You know I what? I knew the, that. I knew that. Yeah. I was in the army for nine years. Um, army band. Did you play in army? Um, I didn't start off in the army band. My first, let's say, uh, almost the first year, I was a cavalry scout. What's a cavalry scout? A cavalry scout. Those are the people who 
go ahead of everybody else and find the enemy. But most sound of like the a time, fun job. No, <laughs> they're like, you go ahead, man. Let us know how it is. <laughs> yeah, um, but most of the time, the enemy is waiting for you. So most of the time, you're retreating if they don't see you. Right. Um, so stealth is kind of important in that job. Uh. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but then I eventually did get into the, the army band. I was stationed in Frankfurt, Germany for three years. Um, went to the first Gulf War with that band. Hmm. Um, uh, came back to... Because I didn't start off in the band, I didn't go to the school of music first. Ah, so, I I so within the military, you can do on-the-job training. So that's mm -hmm. what I did. Um, but then I eventually had to go to the school. So after Germany, I went to the School of Music, which is in near Virginia Beach. Um, and after leaving that school, I was stationed in Augusta, Georgia. Oh, okay. And that's where I eventually got hooked up with James Brown. So this is where this is where I get really interested. There's all right. I moved to Augusta, Georgia, and then I started playing with James Brown. Right. So, the, but, <laughs> but there's a lot that happens in between there, and I think that for I, I know for me when I was younger and I was trying to get gigs, I would always hear or read something like, "Oh yeah," and then and then I started playing with this person. I'm like, "Yeah, but what 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 happened in between there?" So I always like to try to pull that out a little bit of like, "All right, how does." And I know it's one thing that happens after the next thing after the next thing. But can you talk about sort of that journey a little bit? Maybe you'll give some people some different ideas of of how they can, you know, get bigger, bigger gigs, too. Sure. Um, I always say that, you know, there's a saying that uh, it's all about uh, who, you know, mm -hmm. and that's a small percentage. It's really about who knows you and right. who wants to use you. Mm -hmm. So, um, because there's a lot of people who you don't know, who know you and know you're, you're playing. So it's, it's more about, you know, making yourself noticed and in a positive way. So even though there's a lot of groups out there that are out touring that have, you know, these drummers with a lot of flash, um, a lot of the musicians in those bands sometimes say that they wish there was more groove. Mm -hmm. So sometimes. So it's good to get yourself out there as a person who can play, who can play groove and sit and play your part. Right. Is that what you Play concentrated on when you went to when you got to Georgia, where you're like, I'm gonna be that guy. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the pocket guy. I'm gonna be the groove guy. I'm gonna be the guy that can just hold it down. I didn't learn that till later. Really? When I when I got to Georgia, I was just I was young, like a lot of other players, and I was just, you know, out there to have fun. I was learning, you know, trying to learn all the licks and stuff. Right. And you, but, I mean, but, you, and you, you got, you have chops, man. So I've got some, man. <laughs> that it's, it's, yeah. Well, um, my, opinion, so. <laughs> I mean, my opinion, I think, but I mean, but you, you groove too. So let's, I mean, so keep, go ahead. So you were saying you're learning all these chops and. Yeah. So eventually I had to sit that down because I learned that 
that wasn't where it was at. Mm-hmm. You know, I started playing outside of the army with uh, a bass player and a, a singer who were husband and wife. They owned their own restaurant nightclub. They both were ex James Brown uh, alumni. Mm. They, uh, if you watch the Blues Brothers, mm-hmm. the guy playing bass, his name is David Weston. He was the guy who owned that club. Oh, Him nice. and his wife, and his wife was a background singer. Cool. Um, so I played in their band, you know, and I would hear all these stories about James Brown and this and that, and uh, not all of them were <laughs> very glamorous. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> So in my head, I was like, oh, wow, I would never want to play for that guy, you know? Right. <laughs> Until he calls and you're like, oh, Mr. James Brown, how are you? Good. <laughs> what time do you need me to be there? Yeah. Um, yeah. So some years later, I was, I was, you know, on my way out of the army. Um, and uh, a friend of mine, drummer, met him on the street and said, hey, man, how you doing? He said, yeah, man, I just uh, did this audition for James Brown. Um, but you know, I'm not going to take the gig cause the band I'm in, we're about to blow up and do all these things and blah, blah, blah. And that's when the light bulb went off in my head. It was like, Hey man, you need to go talk to some people. Um, and there were a few band members that lived in, in Augusta. So mm-hmm. I went and I talked to them and you were friendly with these cats. Yeah. And long story short, uh, they called me one day and said, Hey, Mr. Brown has uh, three gigs down in Florida. Said so you and another drummer will go down there and you'll watch the show. You'll either audition there or you'll come back to Augusta and audition. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. So go down and uh, the, you know, James Brown always has at least two drummers. Right. He's, he's always had at least two drummers. Um, so I met the other guy. Mousy. I was going to say, was it Mousy? Yeah, I had Mousy on the podcast, too. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Great dude. And uh, so I met Mousy, and the drummers and the stage manager always go first into sound check before the rest of the band, because mm-hmm. um, that gives gives us a chance to set up. There's, there's no uh, drum techs <laughs> for James Brown. There's, there's no techs for anything. Of course not. They got, it costs money. Yeah, this is all old school. Yeah. So we go and we're setting up and Mousy says, hey, man, why don't, why don't, you know, we play around a little bit. Let's see, you know, where you're at. So we. So did. who he else was, was playing with him at the time? Was it Mousy and somebody else or was it just Mousy? It was just Mousy because the guy, Arthur Dixon, mm-hmm. he had quit to be a preacher. Mm. Yeah. Man, that's so talking he, about polar opposites. Yeah, that had just happened. Ah, okay, okay. And unfortunately, a few years later, as I was already in the band, uh, Arthur wanted to come back, but Mr. Brown didn't want him and blah, blah, blah. I was playing the game of, you know, the game. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Um, And unfortunately, uh, he died. Arthur Dixon died. Yeah, he had a heart attack. Oh, that's, that's a shame. Yeah. Um, but he was uh, he was one of the main drummers throughout his his era with James Brown. Right, right, right. Yeah. So you go. So now you're, you're in Soundcheck. You and Mousy are playing around. 
So we're playing around and, and we stopped and said, Mousy, Mousy said, yeah, man, that, that's great. And he said, you'll do a good job on the gig tonight. And I was like, um, what? <laughs> he was like, yeah, you're, you're playing the gig tonight. I was like, no. <laughs> I, was, I said, I was told that me and another drummer would audition and then it would, we would go from there. He's like, nah. That's not yeah, this is me. the audition. He said, this is the audition. And they told me about no other drummer coming. Really? So I'm like, okay. So the rest of the band comes in. Did you know all around. the tunes? No. Well, I mean, I, I knew some of the tunes, but their arrangements are... I was going to say, there's all kinds of hits and all kinds like... All kinds of stuff. So that's that's going through my head. I'm like... Wow, how am I going to do this? You're like, I'm going to get fired on my first gig. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the band is all there. Mr. Brown's limo pulls up inside the venue. Um, <laughs> and he gets up on the organ, which he loved to play around on. And he's up there playing. He's looking around at everybody. And he sees me. He points and he says, come here, son. And I was like, how you doing, Mr. Brown? He's like, son, I heard a lot about you. Let's see what you can do. So he had Mousy play. Um, it was one of the segues. Mm -hmm. So he had Mousy play it. And he said, okay, son, you play it. And I played it. And I didn't play it perfect, but he was like, son, welcome aboard. Nice. And that I'd be was... like, now, okay, now tell me where all the hits are. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm talking to Mousy and all these other people. I was like, how is this going to work? And it was like, look, you just play. I mean, I'll play. Mousy was going to play. He said, and when he points at you, that's when you start playing. You just take over the groove and just keep playing, mm -hmm. you know, and everyone else will do everything else. I'm like, okay. So first James Brown show, I'd never seen one except for, you know, like little videos and stuff. It's a full on entertainment circus like extravaganza is, yeah all this stuff is happening and you know it's you know this great music and fanfares and the background singers come out they're dressed in this tight stuff and the the dancing girls are coming out and they got all this stuff on and i'm like i'm are looking you, around like wow are you like and, i'm getting ready to play a show with james brown yeah so my concentration was out the window. <laughs> so he was pointing at me a couple times and I didn't see it because I was looking at all this other stuff that was going on during the show. You're like, I'm at a James Brown concert. <laughs> yeah. So it, it took me a minute to collect myself. Right. Um, and then that process, that was my learning process was just waiting to play, waiting for him to point me in mm -hmm. and to play. And so sound checks, usually if he came to a sound check, it was like a two hour rehearsal. Right. So that was my time to learn what was going on, to learn all the hits, these segues, his signals. He has a lot of hand signals and a lot of uh, vocal audio signals to, mm -hmm. to change and to do all this different stuff. Um. It was it was a wild ride, man. 
So did was, you did you shed any of the tunes, or did you strictly learn them at like sound check and learning them on the no, go? And no, no eventually, yeah, I, I did start digging into the to the records, and but the thing was when when I would start playing these grooves like the records, he didn't want that, mm. and some of the tempos were different. So they were always faster, right? They were faster <laughs> when when I joined. It was stuff was really fast. Yeah. So you couldn't play the grooves like the records. Yeah. Especially, so, I'm guessing, like all this stuff. Like, did you guys, were you guys doing a bunch of the old stuff? Did you guys do like She's the One and all that? And like. No. And that's, no. I, I found that record later. And I love Oh, loved, yeah. That's, uh, what's it? Motherload. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great record. The one. And, um, uh, there's another one on there, but, uh, yeah. Same group, same type yeah. of group. Um, uh, the ones like shaka like a luga lada, shaka lada luga lada. Yeah. Um, since since you've been gone, since you've been gone, yeah. That's that's one of my favorites. Yeah. And I, what's the what's the other tune? Uh, when it starts out, it's like but I I think it's is it called Motherload? I'll look it, it up. I'll look yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, Um, but no, I, I was I was going to the songs that we were actually doing on the show. Right. So right. it was like, um, Papa's, Papa Don't Take No Mess, mm-hmm. I Got the Feeling, Popcorn, which Popcorn was always kind of like a segue song. So we never really got into it. It was it was a rare occasion that we really played the majority of that song. Right. Um, and, and the reason why I asked about those, old, like some of those older tunes are like, um, like She's the One, like that's a fast tune to begin with. You know, so if he bumps that up yeah. like 15 BPMs, that, that thing's going to be like, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's why I was asking. Yeah, you can't play it like like the original group. Right. Um, so did he want you to sort of just, he wanted your own personal spin on it? Yes and no. What he wanted for me at first was just the copy pretty much what, what Mousy was doing. Right. You know, find the bass. And then move on from there. But he was always changing things. It's like when I told you about those two-hour rehearsals for for sound checks. Mm-hmm. He would fiddle and tweak and do all this kind of stuff, um, which sometimes it really didn't make sense to us. And then you would play it on the gig, and sometimes it would make sense. Sometimes it really didn't to us <laughs> um and sometimes he would have us play like these these patterns and he would get behind the drums and try to show us these patterns mm-hmm. so we we're like okay we'll play this and he's like yeah that's it so you play that on the gig and he was like no that's not, that's it. not and it he'd be yeah it was like wait that's exactly what he just showed that's what we just did <laughs> so it was it was a. Uh, a thing to make your head spin. Right. You know, you, it was, and a lot of times what it was, he would just want you to be confident in what you were playing. Mm. So as long as it was along the lines of what he wanted to hear at that time, which changed from gig to gig. Right. Um, you were cool. And he, I mean, he was like, he was rough to work for though, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah. Uh, the short answer is yes. Like super demanding, right? 
he wanted what he wanted when he wanted it before he asked for it. Right. Did you ever have any like like bad run-ins with him? Every single band member did. Really? Every single musician did at some point in time. Right. What would you do? What didn't I do? <laughs> you know? Uh, walking around before the show and not sitting down, having my feet up, resting. Really? Yes. That was a, a common uh, thing that he would get me for. Because I, I just... I wasn't that kind of person to just sit still. Like he would freak out or just be like, hey, man, why don't you go He wouldn't that? freak out. Right. Sometimes he would be kind of angry about it. He would bring it up in lieu of other things. Mm. Um, but he knew that I wasn't going to just do that. Right. So he, he would calm down and just kind of mention it every once in a while. Yeah. Because um, I've heard like horror stories about like he'll he'll just like fly off the handle and freak out and. You know, and then. Yeah, I mean, he had very. He had a lot of extremes. Right. And they they could go from day to day Mm -hmm. or they could go from minute to minute. Right. Like you could go from being golden where he's praising you in front of everybody or, or even on a show. He's praising you. The next song. He's dissing you. He's he's right. saying how ter- terrible you are. And right, right, right. I know yeah. a guy. I know a guy like that. <laughs> <laughs> I play with a guy like that once in a while. Um. So, how how long did you, did you play with him until he passed? No, I actually left. Um, because you went to play with Bootsy, year. right? That was a couple years after he died. Oh, okay. I thought you went right from playing with James to playing with Bootsy. No, I left in 2015. I mean, um, 2005, and okay. he died in 2006. Ah, okay, okay. Uh, did you decide to go, or? Yeah, it was yeah. it was a decision. Um, it wasn't a decision I made lightly, but it was one that I needed to do. I had done seven years with him. Mm-hmm. Um. And besides going into some some other personal things, it's what I needed to do. Right, that makes sense. And and I I, I don't regret that decision. No. Um, but later, before he died, I got to to play with him one more time. Uh, I sat in with the band uh, at Fog Fest in uh, San Francisco. Nice. Um, and it was it was weird because. I went and I saw the band members and they were all happy to see me. And I went and he had a a trailer for his, for his dressing room. And I knocked on it and his manager came out and I said, Hey, I'm here, blah, blah, blah. And, um, they wouldn't let me see him. Yeah. So I was, okay, whatever. So I'm standing on the side of the stage, the band is on and they're doing this introduction for him to come up on stage. He comes up on stage and he sees me and gives me a big hug and he's all happy to see me. And he says, man, you got to play. You got to play. You got to play. I was like, okay, okay. So he goes out on stage and he's, he's doing his thing. And I'm thinking to myself, why wouldn't you just let me in the dressing room to say hi? <laughs> so I'm like, okay. So he's doing a couple songs before he calls me up to, to play. 
And he keeps turning around and looking at me and smiling. And I'm like, wow, this is this is so much different than when I was here. Right. You it's hated almost, me when I was here. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost better to be a special guest. Right. Than, um, you know, to being on the gig. So I get up and I play and he's he's like all happy and gives me a solo. And so and then he. He has me get up, has the other drummer, uh, Tony Cook, mm. um, come up and play. And he said, stay right there. Just stay there. So I ended up playing like tambourine and cowbell for the cool. show and stuff. So, cool, man. Did you play with him um, at Bonnaroo? Uh, yes. Oh, well, I saw you guys live then. And that was like, what year was that? Because he he passed like not too long after that, maybe like two years after that or something like that. Yeah. Because I Bonner think it was 2004, I think. That might be June, about right. June of 2004. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, it was like yeah. the first or second Bonnaroo, but but yeah, I was there. I was out in the I was out in the crowd. Nice. <laughs> I didn't want to say anything, but you missed the change on the. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> hey, <laughs> I'm, no, I'm just kidding. That was that was an interesting time too, as well. There was. It was very interesting and difficult at times to, to be on the gig because you never knew when gigs like that, when you knew you were supposed to get paid some extra money mm -hmm. and the management never brought it up. Ah. So, Why does that gig get more money than a, a different gig? Because just the, the how because of his guarantee was higher? Because of the filming. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So you didn't get paid the extra or they just don't bring it up and then you got to kind of be like, hey, man, where's my bread? We did. We did get paid the extra, but most people settled for the buyout instead of the royalties. Yeah. Ah. So it was it was hard for the band to be united on a lot of different issues. Mm -hmm. uh, even if people talked about being united. When it came down to it to talk to the man right. right then, it was like everyone's hush hush. I would have went with the royalties. <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next topic. So uh next topic. <laughs> uh and you know, that's kind of a crapshoot though, because you're like, ah, who knows? If nobody buys this, then I'm gonna get a check for thirty bucks, you know. But if a lot of people buy it, then I could I could really make out well. This session is supported by my friends at DW Drums, and they have been with the podcast for a very long time, and they're an amazing group of people over there at DW. They just signed up for 2017 as well, and a couple things. One, I would like you to thank them, and two, if you're ever in the LA area, check them out. Go to Oxnard, see how they make their drums, and also check out all the other brands they have. They have not only DW, but they have Gretsch and Gibraltar and Kickboard and Cat and uh, all sorts, of, all sorts of different brands uh, under their under their DW umbrella. But you can learn more about DW specifically at dwdrums.com.
Big news from Promark. They just released a new signature stick with Matt Halpern. So now they have the Matt Halpern signature stick, the Rich Redmond signature stick, and the Mike Portnoy signature stick. Rich's and Mike's both have that active grip technology, which heats up and gets tackier as your hands heat up, so it's not going to slip out of your hands. And you can learn all about all three of these new signature models, along with the rest of their stuff, at Promark.com. Hey, if you're looking for some great customer service and you're looking for a really pro drum shop, check out Drums Etc. in Lancaster, PA. Drums ETC. Now, I know what you're thinking. Hey, I don't live in Pennsylvania. That's fine because you can order online, you can call them, and they can answer any questions that you have. And they're a really, they're just a small mom and pop really, really good pro drum shop. And I've been using them for years, ever since I was in college. And I've been there a few times and been to clinics there and things like that. Just an amazing store. And the staff has a ton of know-how. And they are going to give you the best service on the planet. You can learn more about them at drums, etc. Drumsetc.com. Or just give them a call. 1-800-922-DRUM. And they will be happy to help you out. Now let's get back into it with Eric Hargrove. Let's talk about the Bootsy gig real quick about sort of how that came about as well. Um, and and then I want to talk about Singapore. I want to talk about some other stuff too. And I want to be cognizant sure. of your time. So, Okay. So Bootsy. I've played for Bootsy two different times for two different types of gigs. The first time I played with Bootsy was he was doing a tribute to James Brown. Um, and that was 2008 and nine. Uh, and the reason that came about because Mousy was not available. He was called first. It was going to be Mousy and Jabo playing on that gig. Um, but Mousy recommended me because he couldn't do it. Um, and it's, it's a funny story because the guy who called me, his name is Brian Hargrove. <laughs> and he was the music director and bassist for Public Enemy. Oh, okay. Yeah, but he goes by Brian Hardgroove. Mm. That's his. That's his stage name. So that was a, a weird phone call. Um, You're like, are we related? Yeah, we were going through all that, but um, got on with Bootsy doing that. That was a that was a, a great gig. We we did a short tour, a couple places in the states, a bunch of places around Europe. Um, and then one in Japan, we did Fuji rocks in Japan. Um, that's a big festival, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's a very big festival. Yeah. That's what I thought. Um, and it was, it was funny that cause we got there, um, early in the morning. Um, and then that night we did a rehearsal. So the whole jet lag thing oh. <clears throat> was crazy. But by the time we did the show the next day, we were we were acclimated because we stayed up that night doing doing a rehearsal. Man, that's the key for jet lag is not sleeping. Yeah, you gotta you gotta stay up, especially like jet lag doesn't really bother me unless I go overseas. Like if I go to California or something, it doesn't bother me. You know, like the three hours. But right. uh, I go to Europe. I don't want to. I don't go a lot, but I go frequently, and like it's always the thing. It's like stay up. You know. Yeah, and I was just, I was actually just in Asia last year. Um, 
And my wife and I were like, I was like, we got to stay up. We got to try to stay up. It's going to ruin everything. Like, you're going to go to bed at a weird hour. You're going to wake up. And it's like, you'll never catch back up. Exactly. So if you're traveling overseas, don't go to sleep. Don't go to sleep until everyone else in that time zone are going to sleep is what I'm exactly. meant to say. It's hard, though. You get there at 8 o'clock in the morning and you're like, yeah. you haven't slept in 20 hours. And you, you're like, man, I want to go to bed now. If you If you take a nap, you better make it short. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so that tour began and ended. Um, I got a call to from a friend of mine who was going to be a music director here in Singapore for a show that was similar to Cirque du Soleil. It's a theater circus. Mm -hmm. um, and he told me uh, before he left that he didn't get to pick the band members. So he said, if for any reason uh, something happens where the drummer doesn't work out, he's my first, I'm my, his first call. So he did call me one day. He Skyped me and said, hey, man. He said, how quick can you get to Singapore? <laughs> and I was like, you know, give me a few weeks to, you know, right. pack up my apartment, put everything in storage. He was like, you have five days. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, are you serious? So um, and did you have like you had like gigs and all that stuff, didn't you? Um, at that time, I, things were really slow. Ah. I, went, I went through a, a really rough patch for about six months. So that was um, actually good that he called and said this. Thing. It, it was perfect timing. Nice. Um, so I was here in Singapore doing that gig for two and a half years, and then just decided to stay. Um, no, I didn't stay. I went to Bangkok after that. Oh, okay. Um, I was just I there. Did, I love it there. I did a house gig uh, with a jazz trio. Mm. Um, and I did that for a year. Um, and then that's when Bootsy called again. And I went. I moved back to the States to play with, with his band. Oh. And now... So... so yeah. So you move back, man. That's a lot of moving, and like <laughs> that's like major moves too. It's not like, oh, I moved it from D.C. to North Carolina, you know. And it's not done. <laughs> yeah. So go ahead. Yeah, I yeah, want to hear this. Moved back to the states. Did Bootsy's uh, touring for two years, 2013 until 2015. Um. Got a music director job for another Cirque du Soleil type show in China. Um, the the guy Franco Dragon, who produced almost all of the Cirque du Soleil shows, mm -hmm. he's had his own company for many years. Many oh, okay. of uh, his shows, like uh, in Vegas, are La Rev as uh, one of the Dragon shows. Mm -hmm. uh, he's got. A few of them around the world. So this was him partnering with a Chinese company to put a show together. And I was selected to be the music director for it. Nice. So I was like, sure. And at that point, uh, things weren't really happening with Boosie. There were, there weren't, we weren't working. Mm -hmm. Um, so I gave my resignation, um, and went on to China to put this show together. 
<clears throat> so, <laughs> uh, how do I say this? You can say it any way you want to say it. The there's two sides. There's production company Dragon, and then there's the Chinese company who was running the show after the show was put together. Okay. The the Chinese side had never done any sort of show like this ever. Um, if you know anything about Asian culture, most of them need to save face. Mm. So if they don't know something and they do something wrong, they won't admit it. Really? It will always be someone else's fault. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. They will like to shift blame away from themselves, especially leaders, Interesting. management. So needless to say, there was, even though I knew this, things became very difficult. Right. Just with how they were running the show. Yes. Most, almost all of the heads of department, departments for that show were foreigners. All of them left. <laughs> all of them quit. So I'm there pretty much by myself now. And this is almost a year into the show. Or not not into the show, but a year. Why did, why did everybody in, quit? It just wasn't getting it just wasn't getting run properly and it wasn't getting run properly. And th it was too difficult to try to work with people that are not reasonable. Right. And it wasn't that it was the Chinese people. It was the company. I got you. It was the management of the company. So I'm not discouraging anybody to not go and work in China. Right, right. Uh, it was just, yeah. Or, the, or it's not the Chinese that could, people. That could, that could happen here. Yeah, yeah. Same thing could happen anywhere. Right. Um, so maybe about a year and three months, I resigned. And I was the last head of department there. I was the last foreigner uh, as head of department. It's management. So now there's uh, no management. <laughs> no, well, the, <laughs> the guy, my assistant took over for me. Oh, okay. He was a foreigner, but then he quit. Um, so, but the, I don't want to dwell on, on this whole negative thing because it was a great experience. Right. Because... One, I'm playing drums, conducting the band, and triggering hundreds of loops. Right. You know, which I'm using a keyboard, using Ableton to do all of this. Sometimes playing with one hand and triggering with the other. Right. I, ha I have to watch the acts. I have to know when to anticipate things. Um, which I had done it similarly, but just drums. Mm -hmm. Now you're you know, doing everything. I had, I had done shows like this before, but now I'm, I'm actually making everything happen. Right. Instead of just playing the drums and triggering a couple loops here and there. Sure. Um, so this was a whole different animal, and it was it was set up perfectly for me uh, by the guys who came in and, and did this. And now I'm. That's sort of a calling card that you could say, you know, oh, I need some of that. I need some of that coffee. 
<laughs> I mean, it's 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 late. Well, it's not late over here, but it's been a long day. Um, the um, but that sort of a you can use that sort of as a calling card too, where it's like now you have this this under your resume, you could do this anywhere. Yeah, you know, it's not like you have to go back to China to do it or whatever. You could do it here for Cirque du Soleil or something. You know, exactly. Um, and it was it was it really was a, a great experience to to be able to do that to um, to learn some new skills, um, not just separating my brain even further. Right. <laughs> you know, playing drums, you have to separate yourself. You know, now you're you're doing a whole other thing. Sure. You're doing two other jobs while playing drums. So, all right, so you're there. All It's sort of like the wheels kind of fall off. You bail. Yeah. So and then where do you go? Now I'm back in Singapore. So you came back to Singapore. Okay. Yeah. My, and I'm, my wife is Singaporean. Oh, okay. Okay. Yes. So then you're so, there. So you're not moving back to the States. As of now, no. No. Okay. Okay. But okay. that could change at any time. Sure. So what are you doing now? Now I'm just kind of waiting for some things to either happen or not happen. Right. So I can make some other decisions on what we're going to do. Sure. Um, but in the meantime, I'm just playing, you know, private gigs and filling in for, for other drummers here in Singapore. How's the language um, barrier? Singapore, everyone speaks English. Really? Yes. Um, there's three main cultures uh, in Singapore, which is the Singaporean Chinese. There's Malay. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's uh, Indian. So hmm. most most everyone speaks English. That's, it's it's everything's written in English. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's just, how it was in Thailand too. Like there was a lot of just yeah, there's er, a lot of everybody speaks English and you know. Well, even more so here. Really, that's yeah. interesting. If I'd you, love to if go you to meet, Singapore. I've never been there. I'd love to go. It's very interesting. Huh. And, and the thing about the cool thing about being here in Singapore is that. There's so many other vacation places around mm-hmm. that it's cheap to go to. You know, if you're coming from the States and try to fly to these these nice islands and beaches and stuff, right. it's going to cost you arm and leg. But being here, it's kind of almost central. You know, yeah. you can go all these different places, you know, from Malaysia to Indonesia, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, Bali and all these other uh, uh, beautiful places. islands. Yeah. I mean, that whole, like... So you're in what, like the the Asian Pacific, I guess. Yeah. Okay. My geography is horrible, so I just pulled. <laughs> I think I just I just got lucky on that one. Um. Uh, yeah, because I mean, there's all those all those islands that crystal clear water. And, oh man. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. I'm just here freezing in New York. Um, <laughs> so let's talk a, a little bit of like some tactical stuff about for all of this stuff that you've done. I mean, you're you've you've not only played with guys, you know, like, like James Brown and Bootsy who have total just pocket and you got to learn all these hits and all that stuff. And then you go into something like triggering and, and you're playing for all these shows and productions and things like that. But there's a lot of preparation that happened well before that, before, I mean, that, that got you in the position to even be able to do any of that stuff. So what was like, what was some of your practice routines like, and how did you structure your practice routine and how did that, how did that sort of change over the years? 
Okay. Um, look, before I, I get into that, I want to just mention that I, I, which I forgot to mention, um, that in between uh, the Bootsy thing, I was also uh, subbing for the group Sister Hazel. Oh, were you? Yeah. Their drummer, uh, he had a couple operations. Mm. Um, and I got recommended for that gig. So, and those guys are super cool. They they welcomed me with with open arms and and really helped me, you know, get adjusted to that gig. So was that uh, where were you touring with those guys in the states or all in the states? They the they states. don't go overseas. Yeah. Oh okay, okay. Hmm. So I did that, and then I was living in Florida at that time, um, outside of Orlando. Because they're from um, Florida, that, aren't they? Yeah, Gainesville. Yeah, they're from Gainesville, right? Yeah. Um, so another person who's also in the Orlando area is uh, Thomas McClary. Uh, he's the guitarist, singer, and the originator for the Commodores. Oh, I didn't know that. So, yeah, I got to do some gigs with him. Nice. Um, doing, you know, most of the, the Commodore stuff. I love the Commodores. Yeah. So that's so that you, you were doing Commodore too. tunes, right? Yep. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So I just wanted to mention I forgot the jumping around from from all these different things. Well, you well you know um, you jump around a lot. <laughs> I do. That's cool though, man. I think I I think I'd rather do that. I know I'd rather do that than just sort of stay idle and keep doing the same thing or take the same gig and play it for thirty years or whatever. You know, I need I need change. I need I need to be I need to be moving all the time. I understand it. Keeps it interesting. <laughs> Okay, so um, practice routines and the evolution of of that. Um, so when I was when I was in the army, um, like I said, I was I was like learning licks and stuff, um, but I was also like recording myself and listening back. Um, that was a huge tool. That's what a lot of musicians should be doing is when you're practicing, Mm -hmm. chord yourself, listen back and then make your adjustments because a lot of times you think you're doing it the right way. (laughs) But when you listen back, you're like, I'm almost there. Yep. Or that's not it at all. It's so scary. Like playing something and you're like, man, this sounds so good. And then you listen back and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, man, that sounds horrible. Or I'm rushing or it sounds square or like the pocket's not there or whatever it is. It's like, man, it sounded so good when I was playing it. You know, and then you listen back and like, OK, I got to yeah. keep working on that. And the opposite can happen, too. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of times that I've listened. I'm like, man, that was a terrible show. And you listen back. and I was like, man, that was that was actually good. Like, oh, I sound pretty good. Yeah. So recording yourself, um, either just audio, but audio and video is, is best. So you can, you can see when your body isn't doing what it should, mm-hmm. you know, especially for drummers, we tend to hold our body in, in, in weird positions, you know, not only the, the drum faces we make, <laughs> Our, our body makes faces too. We, we, we tighten muscles in our body that we don't need to do. Mm-hmm. Who, I, 
uh, who was I talking to? Um, I don't remember. Somebody I interviewed somebody. I don't, not important, but they were saying like it. They've noticed that everyone when they go to do a fill, they go. <gasps> then they do the fill, <sighs> and then they exhale. And yeah. so when they're doing solos that they're kind of like holding their breath the whole time. That's why they're so out of breath after they're playing, but like everything tenses up in these, like in these transitions and it's not this flu. It may have been Benny Greb that said it, but, um, but it's not like this fluid breathing thing. It's like every, people hold their breath when they, when they play fills for some reason. Sure. You, you, you tense up, you hold your breath. Um, and for people who are playing a lot, you know, that does damage to your, to your muscles, mm -hmm. you know? And like, I know that I remember reading that when Dave Weckl had problems, you know, like losing sensation in your arm and stuff, yeah. you know, I think that's when he went and changed his whole setup, mm -hmm. Yep, changed the way he played, you know? And that was probably the best thing he could have done for himself. And there's a lot of people and, who have gone through that. Yeah. You know, like, so you need to look at yourself. You need to see what you're doing. Um, and yes, you can build endurance, you know, so that your muscles aren't as fatigued. But if you don't need to use, tense yourself up, bringing your shoulders up, you know, mm -hmm. and, and using so much arm motion, if you don't need to do it, I know it's, it can be a show aspect the show business part of it, the show. Right. But if you're playing night after night after night, it catches up you to can, you. Yeah. You can, you can damage some things, you know, pinch nerves and all kind of stuff like that. Yeah. And, and that's something that, that I went through. Um, the way I was sitting on the throne and playing show after show after show, I got sciatica. Mm. and I couldn't figure out why. And I just thought it was just the fatigue of playing and playing and playing, but right. it wasn't. <clears throat> it was the way I was sitting on the throne and I had a rock and sock bicycle yeah. throne. And what I did was I turned the throne 180 degrees and I sat on it backwards. Huh? Sci sciatica gone. Really? I've never had it again. Cause I feel like I kind of have that. Actually, like I always get like lower back pain, lower like left hand mm. side and like my legs kind of get tingly once in a while. Yeah. Change how you sit on your throne. If depending if you have just a regular round seat. You may have to change your throne. Right. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's worth trying. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree. I should check it out. I mean, because it's bothering me now, so I should, you know. Now we're getting all. Now we're getting into diagnosis. And everything. <laughs> People are like, "Man, so I don't, Nick, I don't care about your nerves. Come on." <laughs> so that's something that 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 I went through. I had to change the way I was holding my body, right? Which the answer was, "Don't hold your body. Mm -hmm. You need to be you need to be as relaxed as possible." Sure, sure. Um, and one of the things I, I teach some of my students is. Um, to relax your shoulders and keep your, your, your elbows down to your, your sides, not squeezing, but just relaxing in, in a natural position mm -hmm. um, and not having your, your elbows out like you're, like you're going to fly away. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
because a lot of us do it at different points in times and, you know, our arms are out and we're used, we're tensing all these muscles up here around our neck. Right. And it can take a toll on you. So yeah, that's, that's one of the things that, that I'm still um, adjusting. Right. And I think as you get older too, like you, I think you constantly have to make adjustments and you'll, you'll notice differences in people's setups as the years go by of like just more ergonomics or, or things are easier to reach or, you know, things are lower or whatever, whatever the case may be. Cause I mean, for me, I'm like, I like everything compact. I don't want to reach for anything. Just, yes. I'm a, I mean, I'm short though. I'm five, seven, you know, on a good day, like if the humidity's right. So, like, <laughs> so I'm like, you know, I like, ev- I need everything pretty close to me. Um, but I've noticed just watching old drummers as they get, as they age, their setups change a little bit. You know, yeah, and you have to. I mean, you know, we're not always we're not all going to be twenty one forever. So, exactly. So, what about um, what about specifics of of what you did in the practice room? And I don't mean like certain routines, but how did you sort of approach your practicing aside from playing along with records? Um, because I, you know, I think there's a lot of well, I never know what the practice. There's so many things to learn. How am I going to learn all this stuff? I, should I be working on my feet? Should I be working on my hands? Independent? Should I be working on styles? Should I be you know, learning these licks, what should I be doing? And I always like to get everyone's perspective and then the listeners can sort of take bits and pieces of everyone's practice routine, put it together and make their own that works for them. Sure. The, the first thing you have to think about is what is it you want to do? Where is it you want to go to? Just like any kind of business five-year plan, you need to kind of think about it that way as when you're going into the practice. And what is it? What is my goal? What am I going for? Do I want this jazz gig? Do I want this R&B gig? Do I want, what is it I'm going for? Do I want to be able to do all of that? So then you need to start breaking it down. So I want this jazz gig. All right. So I need to start looking at the, the basics of jazz. All right. Start playing your ride cymbal and your hi-hat. Yeah. Just breaking it down to the, the bare basics, you know, and then just building, you know, you got to start at a foundation mm-hmm. and build from there. So anytime you're, you're going to practice now, if, if you've already got all those basics and everything and you're, you're struggling to find out, well, what do I practice? I have all these basics. I'm, I'm a, a great player already. What I like to do is I tell my students, take what you already know, and reverse it. If, if you play this lick this way all the time, mess with it. Change it. Mm-hmm. Play it backwards. Play it inside out. Take a note out. Use different dynamics. That's something that I would like to see. Uh, how do I say this? Um, the guys that are doing, that have all these chops. A lot of times you hear it at one dynamic level. Sure. I would love to see them use the ebb and flow approach to doing that. So Mm -hmm. you hear a dynamic level. You hear it going up and down, flowing like a wave does. Yeah. You know, that 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 can change the whole. Super interesting. And it changes the whole vibe of everything. Yeah. Like you move it, you move you move an accent and it changes everything around. So like you start messing with all the dynamic levels and like, 
Yeah. I mean, you could take it as far as you could play your right hand really loud and your left hand really quiet or, you know, like there's yeah, so many it, different things to do. Permutations. Yeah. Um, uh, David Garibaldi's book. No, Future Sounds. Uh, yeah, that has all those different permutations. That's the perfect way to to practice. Mm-hmm. So if you have all these things, you're, you're already a great player. Start permutating what you do. Yep. You know, it's it, it, Total it will different open vibe. your it'll open your mind to, oh, wow, I really like that. Or no, I don't like that so much. Um, but it can give you ideas. The, the point is to trigger ideas in your head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if, if, if you can do something in a different way and it triggers something even better, then you're on the right track. Right. It's, it's part of, excuse me, part of it is challenging that comfort zone of like, that, Cause I think we're all guilty of it that you go in and you just play the stuff that's, that you play because it's fun and it feels good. Like nobody wants to sound like crap. Right. You know, it's a, it's, I think part of it's an, a subconscious ego thing where you're like, yeah, man, I, I sound good. That feels good. <laughs> you know, and you're like, I'm playing all my licks and I'm like, I don't want to play all this stuff that sounds like, like tennis shoes in a dryer. Like that's not cool for me. <laughs> that doesn't, but that, that doesn't feed my ego, that. <laughs> but yeah. that makes you feel, I mean, but that makes you better. Yeah, and you should you should do that. You should go play the stuff that that makes you comfortable, so your your happiness level is is up, and then start working on the other stuff. Right, a good so piece. That, go ahead. Yeah, so that when when you are working on it and it's you're struggling and you finally do get it, it's like it's another ebb and flow. Mm-hmm. You're up here, you bring yourself down, and then you're up again because you just. You did what you were trying to do. You you practiced something new and you got it. And you got it. It's the greatest feeling. There, Russ Miller told me, uh, he was like, you should always start your practice routine and end it on a good note. So go in, play all the stuff that you love doing, then do all the stuff in the middle that's hard and all that. And then when you're leaving, play all the stuff that you know again so that the next day you're not, you're not going to leave there pissed off and not want to go in the next day. Yeah. Yeah. Which I thought was really, really valuable uh, information. So, how do you mention teaching? How do you teach? Do you teach over Skype, or do you just do it in Singapore in person? Or I haven't done any Skype lessons yet. No, okay. Um, I always do it one on one. Um, but I, I would be interested in in doing some Skype lessons. That that may come up sometime in in the future. Um, but it's 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 one on one, and usually with you know two drum sets. So, okay. you know, we, I can play together with them. Right. Um, and the first thing I, I, I look at is how are they playing? Mm-hmm. You know, what is their setup like? Is their hi-hat really far away and their arm, you know? Right. So, and then I suggest, okay, let's, let's, let's look in. at your setup. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's look at your setup and, and let's see how we can make this easier on yourself and your muscles. Mm-hmm. You know, and if if they want to learn something specific, then I, I try to teach them. Um, but there's there's what I won't teach is chops. Mm-hmm. I can teach you where these chops come from. I can teach you the rudiments where they come from. But it's better that you explore that yourself so that you you, you know what the base is. You know where it came from. You know it's triplet based. You know where the accents are. So now you need to listen to those 
big chops that you're trying to accomplish mm-hmm. and figure them out yourself. Right. Because that's more helpful than me writing this chop out for you and going through each note and each tom and each bass drum, you know. Right. It's more beneficial to you to listen to it, which gets into what we talked about before, putting the headphones on mm-hmm. and playing along. <laughs> yep. And plus, you'll probably come up with your own things and variations. You'll hear it differently. And you're like, oh, man, I could put this on the I could put this on the floor, Tom, instead of the ride symbol or, you know, whatever. Right. Thanks. So that that allows me to segue into. All right. If you're going to listen to these songs for this for these chops, I want you to listen to these songs for the groove. Right. <laughs> it's like the <laughs> the vegetables and the dessert kind of thing. <laughs> Exactly. That's a great analogy. That is great. <laughs> you know? I'll give you the dessert. You gotta eat your vegetables too. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so if people want to uh connect with you, learn more about you, keep up with what you're doing, what's the best way to do that? Go to your website? You can go to my website. Um Um I haven't updated it in a while, but you can go to my my Facebook uh fan page. Okay. Um, which is just Eric Hargrove, the musician. Um, and you can send me a message there. I tend to keep it pretty updated. I'm not, I'm not doing too much at the moment, but. Cool. I'll have, uh, I'll put all the links to everything in the show notes. They can get to your, get to your website, get to your Facebook page and, and, uh, I'll put some of the, some of the links up of you playing with James and all that. So. And they can awesome. check. They can, they can check that out. And uh, again, man, thank you for thank you for doing this. And it's I'm glad that we got it. We got it hooked up from on the other side of the world together. So this is, <laughs> this is super cool, man. But I I really do appreciate you being a part of this. I I really do. No, Nick, I appreciate you asking me to, to be a part of it. And it's 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 great to have this conversation with you. Like and I'm glad that you're doing stuff like this. It's uh yeah, it's been it it sort of just started as like this little this little project, and it's it's grown now. It's, it's pretty big now. This is, I mean, I've done, like I said, like 250, well, 240 of these interviews so far. So nice. Don't plan on stopping. So (laughs) let me know what number I am. (laughs) You you will be number two thirty two thirty three, I think, or two thirty. hold on. Two thirty, two thirty one, two thirty two. You'll be two, three, two, number two, three, two. So, uh, but again, Thank you for everything. I'll email you or I'll shoot you a message on Facebook when it comes out and everything. Uh, And then anytime you want to come back, man, you are more than welcome. Sure. When I, when I have something new, when I'm out doing something new and let me know. Yeah. (laughs) All right, dude. Uh, Yeah. That'll that'll be. Were you going to say something? uh, Yeah. um, I'm planning on working on my, my first uh, album. Nice. As a leader. Yes. Cool. Um, and hopefully that will jumpstart a, a whole band and touring of my own stuff. I like it. Hopefully, um, and it will be. It will be probably. You will hear the James Brown influence. Yeah. <laughs> you, you you will definitely hear that influence. That's not a bad thing. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, keep me posted. Definitely. Yeah, man. Definitely. Definitely will. Good deal. Eric, thank you again. I appreciate it. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right, Nick. Thank you. Thanks, man. 
so there you have it the one and only Herrick Hargrove I hope you enjoyed that everything that I talk about or we talk about in the in the podcast you can go to drummersresource.com forward slash session 234 you can get all the show notes for that and all that fun stuff and until the next well I won't talk to you until the new year so I hope that everybody has a safe happy new year's eve go out have some fun if you're gigging uh definitely rock the house i got off this year so uh i just hope that everybody has a fantastic new year's eve and goes into 2017 uh ready to crush it and also i want to thank all of you just for being part of this community and as you know it was an amazing year for the podcast amazing great guests it's growing and growing and growing which i sincerely appreciate all the listenership and all of that and just a really a really awesome year and just thank you from the bottom of my heart for being a part of this great community and in 2017 we are going to kill it so uh until then keep drumming thank you so much for listening thank you for a great 2016 and here's to an even better 2017 and i'll talk to you soon ciao